0: We begin our look tonight at a book about, normally considered about works. But it's actually a book, I believe, about faith. Because faith and works go hand in hand. So, starting tonight, we're going to be going through the entire book of James. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. And tonight I'll be covering the first four verses... And it's pretty relevant to my life right now because it call, uh, uh, talks about trials and when you're going through situations. Oh, is it not on? That would help, wouldn't it? Test. Is that any better? <laughs> I felt like I was yelling. So tonight is going to speak to everyone. Uh, Maybe you're in the midst of a trial or maybe you're in the midst of a tough circumstance in your life. This scripture tonight is exactly for you. I'm going to start out with James chapter one. And before I get there, let's just do a little background. James was the brother of Jesus. And this book is considered by scholars to be the earliest book. Written in the New Testament. What we are reading tonight. Is the most ancient form of Christian text. Known to mankind. The book of James was considered to be written even before the Gospels. Even before any of the letters of the Apostle Paul. So we're looking at original Christianity. Um, This was the way they were practicing it. The way the Jews who were being converted to Christianity were... uh, uh, Now walking in their new faith. So what you're reading tonight is the oldest document in our Christian faith. We're actually taking a trip in a little time travel device right now as we look at the book of James. James was written written to a predominantly Jewish audience. Because most of the people who initially put their faith in Christ were Jews. And these people were Jews who had known the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah... And had witnessed Jesus' miracles and were now uh, uh, no longer just Jewish, but they were believers in Jesus as the Messiah. Now in their day, they would have still told you they were authentic Jews, right? Now in our society, we have Jews and Christians. Back then, they were the authentic Jews because they were Jews who believed in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. So there was no distinction from them. Today, we call people uh, Messianic Jews that are Jewish, but believe in Jesus during my sermons a few weeks ago, I said how our roots come out of Judaism. We still read the Old Testament, we follow the uh, Ten Commandments, we worship Yahweh. We are just as much Jewish as uh, Jesus was because we follow the God of Jesus and Jesus was God. So we follow Him. So let's look at James chapter one. It starts out by saying this: James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. These four verses right now are going to speak to you and we start off with a common introduction whenever you write a letter to someone you're going to say dear so and so or you may say from your this is from your pal or however james begins his letter with an introduction every letter in the new testament practically begins with an introduction but what's interesting is that here you have the brother of jesus christ all right now is anyone here brother or sister to someone really important now, if Adrian was here, my sister, she would raise her hand. But but does anybody have like... Uh, um, Scarlett, is it your brother-in-law or your relatives that are on the road as musicians? Which one? Your brother is a, a pretty famous musician in the uh, bluegrass community. All right, Anyone else have famous siblings? Okay. <laughs> well, you're the good ones out of the bunch, okay? So if I ask your siblings, they'll say, yeah, I'm brother of so-and-so, a sister of so-and-so. But you see... James could have gone around all the time. Be like, I'm James, brother of Jesus, right? My big bro is the Lord. Uh, a lot of times when we introduce people, people might know, might not know us. So what we do is we name drop. You would say, I'm the son of so-and-so or a friend of so-and-so. Uh, that's common to us associate other people Names that they will know about so that they, they can then know who we are. You'll say, yeah, I'm the, uh, the grandson of so-and-so. Do you know them? Or so on and so forth. And you your friend of a famous person, you would say, I'm the brother of so-and-so. But here's what's interesting about what James does. He doesn't introduce his letter by saying, hey, this is coming from the brother of Jesus. Right? What does he say? He says, from James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ." Instead of coming out and saying, you know, I'm uh, I'm a famous Christian uh, uh, testimony. I'm a famous preacher. He says, I am a servant of God most high. A lot of people will will try to tell you what they have accomplished or things they have done in their life. But he starts not by telling you about himself, but about his Master. You know, uh, some people could say, well, I'm a business owner or I'm an author or I'm an entrepreneur. But he says, listen, I am a bond servant. Now, the thing about this in our society, we don't understand what this word means. Now, if we lived. uh, Let's say a thousand years ago, we would understand what a bond servant means now in, in American slavery. That didn't necessarily happen, but a bond servant was someone who entered by law and now became property of their master. I'm not sure if there's anything in our society that compares to that, other than uh, maybe when you're in the military, you become a bond servant of the military. You become their property, and they basically own you, right? Or maybe when you work for an employee, you're kind of like that bond servant. You've entered into cool a contract. But James says, "Listen, cancel out the fact that I'm the brother of the one crucified. Now know this: I am a bond servant of the Lord Most High." So he introduces us by. Telling us his most important fact about himself, and that's his relationship with God. As, uh, maybe some of you in here have seen the movie 300. I don't recommend it as a testimony of any Christian value whatsoever, but some of you have probably seen it. In that movie, um, the Spartans, who are the famous warriors, meet another clan of warriors. And one of the Spartan leaders goes up to these warriors and says, uh, ''What is your profession?'' And the guy will say, well, I'm a potter. And he'll say, what is your profession? And he'll say, I'm a blacksmith. And then he turns around to the Spartans and says, what is your profession? And they all raise their swords. Oh, oh, you know, that's the warrior cry. See, their profession was being a warrior. That was the difference in their society in this other society. See, in Christianity, you start thinking of yourself as, well, you know, I'm a, a business owner or I'm a student or I'm a, a tradesman, whatever you do. But your identity is not found in what you do. Your identity is found in who your master is. See, when you ever you introduce yourself to someone, it's not about, oh, yeah, I did this for my life. It's I'm a Christian. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing about you is who has saved you and who your Lord is. So he starts out by telling us his relationship with God. And secondly, he points out that his purpose is to be a missionary to men. Look at what's interesting in the second part of verse 1. He says, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, why didn't he say to Jews? Or why didn't he just address the Jews in Jerusalem? Well, what he was trying to do is he was addressing all those Jews... Which may have left Jerusalem, been scattered throughout the parts of the land. But even though they were a Jew and may have not been to the temple in a long time. If you were part of the twelve tribes, you're still a Jew. Now who does this speak to right now? This speaks to a person who's maybe been saved. Maybe been in church. But maybe for whatever reason you fell away from church. But Jesus has still died for your sins. Jesus is still, his blood pays for your sins. You see what I'm saying? So a lot of times a, a Christian will, will fall away from the house of God and, and then think they've got to do something to get back. You don't have to do anything to get back into the Father's house Then understand that you're still a part of the Father. God doesn't have to die for you again to accept you back into God's kingdom. He's already died for you once. You've accepted Him once. You're already part of the household of God. Amen? So when He says to the 12 tribes, He's saying, listen... Even though some Jews you may have disassociated with Judaism. You may often la la land not not even doing anything. You're still part of God's promise. Sometimes we feel like God hasn't answered us. Sometimes we feel like God has left us alone. But know this, you are still part of the promise of God. When he says to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. He's saying, I'm a missionary trying to reach out to all those. And his purpose is to edify and encourage those. Who were beginning to convert to Christianity. Not just in Jerusalem. Who were considered the authentic ones. Because the real Jews were the ones who lived right in Jerusalem. The surrounding areas. Because they were the ones that came to the temple. But he's saying listen. All of those who are of the covenant of Abraham. Are the ones that I'm writing to. So in James uh, verse 1. We see the relationship with God. And that he's a missionary to men. Now let's look at verse 2. This is what really speaks to us right now. Consider it pure Joy, or my translation says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Something interesting right now is that the root word joy, which is charas, comes from the root word for grace, which is charis. Joy is all about grace. Anytime I've talked about root words, it always comes back to grace. When I talked about Mary and favor, the root word of favor is grace. You see, joy comes from God's grace. All joy in your life is going to be related to the grace of God. There is no joy apart from God's grace. When it's telling us to consider pure joy when you face trials, it's saying think about the grace. Now, the original Greek reader would have read the word joy and understood it come from grace. That means you're lucky to have it. You're lucky to have it. You are underneath God's favor to have it. I want you to think about this next time there comes a trial in your life. Next time you you find yourself in a test or a temptation. Understand that you are lucky to have that trial. And we're going to see why we're lucky to have those trials in a second. He says consider it joy. Consider it a part of, uh, of God's grace. You know, a lot of times when we look at our problems, we're thinking about the size of the problem and not the size of our God. What he's saying, he's saying consider the God you serve before they consider the problem you're in. Consider the Savior who had his nails in his hands. Before you consider the problem you're going through. Consider it pure joy. We can't, we can't even comprehend that. You know, we get, we get down and depressed about a situation. But James is saying, listen, be joyful. How many of us would, would turn the world upside down if we started acting joyful in the midst of our circumstances? You know, when everyone else is having a bad day at work, we start acting joyful because we know it's a chance for our faith to be tested. Considered it pure joy. So what you need to do, think about the grace before you think about your trial. Whenever you're looking at a trial, think about the God who's standing up above that trial. Whenever young David was facing that Goliath, you know what he can see behind that Goliath? A God who was even taller. See, David wasn't focused on his Goliath. David was focused on his God. And what most of us do is we look at the size of our problem and not the size of our king that we serve. And whenever James says, listen, I am a servant of God. That means all he does is obey the father's instructions. That means he is under the dominion of the king. So when you're a servant, somebody, it's not your problem what goes on. It's your master's problem. You just do what the master tells you to do. And if the master has brought a problem into the servant's life, it's for the servant's benefit. Once you see that God is the author of your faith, you will no longer fear the tests that are designed to strengthen it. Let me share that again, because somebody didn't catch it. Once you see that God is the author of your faith, you will no longer fear the tests which are trying to strengthen your faith. See, every test, every test in your life is there to strengthen you, to make you stronger, to make you better. There is no circumstance which you have gone through that God has not used for the benefit of making you a better Christian. Brother Edgar, everything that God has thrown in your life has been to strengthen you and equip, equip you and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. Even what the devil may try to use for evil, God can use for good. And some of you are mad at God because something that's happened in your past. And you think, why will God allow this to happen? God allows it to happen because it's going to make you stronger. God allows it to happen because it's going to benefit His kingdom once you come out of it better. Now what we can do is we can get negative about it. Or we can start doing what James says and start being thankful about it. And give God glory that He even let us go through a trial. Think about this, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were they uh, uh, cursing God in the middle of the fire? No, they were praising God because they went through a trial. You see, your trial is an opportunity for God to show up in your life. God is a conflict resolver. God is a mediator. If everything was perfect, we would never need Him. If we were all happy-go-lucky, we might as well go to Florida right now and sit on a beach and drink some coconut thing. But that's not what life is about. Life is about trial and there's going to be conflict and there's going to be crazy family members. And there's going to be crazy relationships and it's all going to be an opportunity for God to show up. The word temptation here in the scriptures. Your translation says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or, or temptation. The, the, the Greek word can be translated both ways, temptation or trial. And you know one reason it's a temptation? It's because every trial is a temptation for you to fall out of the realm of faith. You see, here's the realm of faith operating, knowing that God is sovereign. Whenever a trial comes in your life, you start thinking, oh, man, I I can't do this. Uh, I can't handle this. You know what it's tempting? It's tempting you to fall out of the realm of faith and to get back into the realm of worldliness. See, worldliness is down here. It's small. It's limited. But faith sees a bigger picture. They say you can't see the forest for the trees. Might look like the trees in front of you. But guess what? God sees the whole forest. He can see all your problems. He can even see the solution that's already there for you. And you're worried about the tree in your way. God's already got a chainsaw to cut the tree down. He just wants you to have the faith to go up to the tree and not be fearful of it. Your faith is going to determine how God shows up. Think about grace before you think about your trial. And it explains why we should do this. Verse 3. Because the testing of your faith produces patience. Somebody say patience. (laughs) Something that we all don't have enough of, do we? I'll tell you what tests my patience. Drivers on the road. Either two things happen. And I don't mean no offense to anybody. Either the Yankees have moved down here. Or all the slow Floridians... Have moved up. One or the other. Because I'll be cruising along nine over. Don't judge me. Nine you're fine. Ten you're mine. You know what I'm saying? I'll be cruising nine over. And some guy's on my tail like I'm going slow. I can't go any faster brother. Alright. And then the next day. I get behind someone. The sign says 55. And they think that means the age limit. They get out there and and you think they're on a Sunday morning joyride. And I'm like, man, I got places to go. Driving truly tests my patience. I get tired of people. They don't know how to use a signal. I mean, they must have got their license out of a Cracker Jack box. But see, everything in life is going to test our patience. Your children are going to test your patience. Your grandchildren, even when you're growing up. Now your children are going to test your patience even more. Because now they're adults. But the testing of your faith develops perseverance, develops patience. And you know what? God wants to develop patience in you. You know why? Because God is a God of patience. Because I want you to know that God has been patient with you every day since you've been born. God's still patient with you. He's still waiting for all men to come into repentance. And He is a patient God. And if He wants to bring His image within you, then you need to be patient with people too. Next time you get mad at... at. uh you know, a kid or, or a relative or even a waitress because, you know, she ain't doing something that you told her to do. Just remember all the things that God has told us to do and we haven't listened. Amen. God has told us all kind of things that we've not been obedient to. And we expect people in our life that we tell one thing and they don't go do it and we get mad. Think about a heavenly father who saved us and then told us to do things and we don't listen to. Them. Just remember, God is much more patient with us than we are with other people. You see, it's not you who is tested. Understand this. It says the testing of your faith. It's not you who is tested, but it is your faith that is tested. Why is your faith tested? Because your faith determines who you are. You see, no man is bigger than his faith. Your faith determines your life. Your faith determines your blessings. Your faith determines your emotions. So your faith is what's going to dominate everything else. Faith is like a muscle. The body is no good without muscles to move it. And, and a spirit is no good without faith which can prove it. See just like your skeleton bones need muscles to move it. Your spirit needs a faith to carry it. And I know you can tell how massive I am. And how much time I spend at the gym. <clears throat> I'm just kidding everybody. But whenever you lift weights. That muscle actually tears the fibers. Whenever you do bench press, real heavy, it's tearing the fibers. What happens several days after you've torn those fibers, it rebuilds stronger. And then you could go in the next, next week and bench two and a half pounds more. And then five pounds more and ten pounds more. It's because you've torn the fibers because that fiber has undergone stress. Your faith does not grow unless it undergoes stress. There is no easy man's gym to grow your faith. You know, you always see like Chuck Norris selling that easy gym he sells. You know, Chuck's the rip man and he's just doing these really easy push-ups. You expect people to believe that they're going to get up there smiling like that and develop big old muscles. It don't work that way. People with big muscles, they're in the gym every day. They're sweating. They're eating 6,000 grams of protein. Right? They're getting up in the middle of the night eating shakes and stuff. They, they stress it and they eat what's going to grow it. There's no lazy man's, lazy, lazy man's way to spiritual growth. You can't sign up for a spiritual gym membership. Just show up and it happens. Your faith has to be tested. And God will test it in order to grow it. You can't grow faith without stretching it. Testing is a necessary st- step in discipleship. Sometimes we think God is testing us because God's mad at us. Do you think when a coach makes football players... Run the same play 25 times. He's mad at the players. No, he knows when he tests their ability, it's developed them, developing them to be better players. Whenever a teacher in school gives you a test, is that teacher mad at you? No. What is the test trying to prove? It's trying to prove if you've learned something. Maybe God brings a test in your life because he wants to see if you've learned something. Some of you getting more tests than others. What happens in school if you fail a test? You have to take that curriculum over again. Why do you think God keeps throwing tests in your life? Because we ain't learned it yet. If we'll learn it, we'll get past the test and go on to something new. Whenever the test comes, understand that God's testing your faith. wants to see if you've listened to what he's been trying to teach you. Coaches test players, teachers test students, God tests his disciples. That's why you consider it pure joy. That's why the greatest champions in uh, Olympia and in sports—they're out there testing their skills every day, and they don't go there with drudgery. No, Michael Jackson didn't shoot five, or Michael Jackson, <laughs> Michael Jordan, whoo, okay, <laughs> Michael Jordan didn't shoot five hundred th- free throws every day because he considered it a burden. No, he wanted to be the better than anybody else. You see, he was out there testing his skills. Somebody's going to laugh at that later. Somebody's going to hear the audio of this one. He was testing his skills to become the best he could possibly be. And see, the test in your life is not a burden. It's a blessing. It is a blessing. We are blessed when God allows tests in our life. Because you know what? There's someone living in a mansion that has a butler bringing every meal to them. They're not growing spiritually. You know what? If we wanted life to be that way, you wouldn't grow spiritually either. If you don't pass a test, you'll have to take the course again. Let's start passing the tests. Maybe the temptations will come less frequently. If we'll have faith that God's already got an answer to it, we'll start passing. And then lastly, last verse, verse number four. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You might say, Pastor Jesse, I'm not perfect, but you can be. I'm going to tell you why. Because once God develops patience and endurance in you, the scripture says you'll lack nothing. If you can understand patience, you can endure any trial, you can endure any temptation, you will lack nothing. Jesus told the woman who was about to be stoned when she left, he said, go be holy as I am holy. And a lot of us say, well, I'm a sinner. I'm going to mess up. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit can't equip you to live a victorious Christian life day in and day out. You don't have to mess up every day. Somebody needs to get this. You think you're still trapped up in carnality. You think, well, I've always done this. I'm not going to change. You don't have to. That's not what Jesus told the woman caught in adultery. He said, well, I mean, you're just an adulterer. Go on. I still love you anyway. No, Jesus said, go and sin no more. And a lot of times, the world tries to tell us, well, once a sinner, always a sinner. No, a sinner is, I'm sorry, a saint is a sinner who's picked themselves back up and started walking on the right road. The only difference between a saint and a sinner, a sinner stays down, a saint stands up by the grace of God. A saint stands up and says, I can do it by God's favor. I can do it by God's grace. You can make it. You don't have to live defeated every day. You don't have to live with the same burdens you've been living with every day. Brush yourself off and say, by the grace of God and by scripture, I will pass this test and God can make me perfect. You see, it says perseverance must finish its work. Do not hinder perseverance. What happens? The test comes along and you start getting mad at the test. You start getting mad at God. What are you trying to do? You're trying to hinder perseverance. I hope that's ministry calling. I came up with that two days ago. I thought it worked out pretty good. (laughs) Don't hinder perseverance. Why? Because it says endurance is a perfect worth. Let patience have its perfect work. You see, you've always prayed, God, just get me out of this. God's saying I'm perfecting you. God, I can't take it no more. I am perfecting you. Do not hinder patience in your life. Endurance is a perfect work. So don't neglect it from making you perfect. Because get this. This is my final point. If you don't hinder patience. The devil won't hinder you. Because you'll be perfect. Because the next time devil throws something at you. You won't get defeated. You won't get mad. You'll just keep on going. And later on in Scripture, we're going to see, it says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, if you'll let patience have its perfect work in your life, whatever God is trying to teach you, let him teach you. If you will not hinder it, the devil will not be able to hinder you. And if we resist the devil long enough, he'll flee from us. He'll stop bothering you no more. Once you are perfect, you'll be ready to charge hell with the water pistol. I've been waiting to say that all night. <laughs> because God will have His, completed His faith work in you. The devil can't hinder you. And when the devil can't hinder you, watch out. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against a soldier of God. All I want to say in conclusion tonight is this. Whatever trial you're going through, God has a purpose. Whatever troubling thing you've been facing in your life. God has a purpose. And he's perfecting you. And let us rejoice. With pure joy. The grace of God. That he's allowed us to go through this trial.